This is Wayne Jurnell, editor of Theory and Research and Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael. Yeah. As a person, mm-hmm. a dad. That's true. Okay, yeah. A husband, even a social studies teacher. Yes, yeah. I'm curious okay. how good you are at talking about death. Oh, like the ultimate end. It's... Mm-hmm. That's difficult. I've ne- I don't think I'm comfortable with it. So like the whole concept kind of freaks me out. So I don't know. I remember my, um. so my dad, obviously my, my we've talked about this before. My dad died like t- 10 years ago at this point. And, and so like my daughter would every so often, cause she's seen pictures of my dad and like, whenever we'd get like a mailer from like a real estate agent who would be like a larger man with a uh, white hair, she'd be like, Oh, is that your dad? And I'd be like, oh, honey. And so, you know, we have to talk about like, you know, he's no longer, he's no longer here. He's no longer with us. You know, my, and then it actually took me a long time to say the word dead. I don't know why, but I was like using all these euphemisms, but like for she's, she was like three or four, like what they, like what is who's no longer around mean? Because it doesn't. And so at one point I was like, yeah, you know, my, my dad died and you know, we're, you know, we just, it's, it's sad. And so we, we had a conversation about it. And then the, the next day we're, uh, we were using like watching TV and the remote wouldn't work. And I said, Oh, the battery's dead. And she said, like your dad. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, honey, 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 honey. <laughs> and she immediately, she felt bad. Like, Oh, honey, no, it's okay. But we do use the word dead for like different things. And so this battery can actually, and we mm-hmm. don't have too much attachment to this battery. I mean, it was a great battery. It did some great service. Well, but you know, well, it's, it's, it seems like I feel like very similar, except that I haven't had kids I've had to explain it to. So, but definitely it was a ta- taboo topic oh, yeah. from in my home, right? Like just, we didn't talk about it. And so when you don't talk about something, it seems like you're supposed to be scared of it. Right. And I don't remember it coming up like in any of my teacher preparation, like not only how do you talk about it as potentially a topic in history or things like yeah. that, but like you will have death within your school, like, right. Like during your career, you will have um, a tragic student death, or you will have community members or mm-hmm. an administrator, educator, people, someone will die. And I don't remember, like, I don't, I too, I'm still not ready. I don't know what to do. Right. Like I, I'm, you should, I feel like you should do something, but I don't know how good we are at talking about it, but. It's funny. Cause obviously we teach social studies. And so every so often I give the kids a talk to I sit down. I'm like, all right, listen, I'm glad you're sitting. All the people we're talking about are already dead. So you know, we're going to learn about it, but like they're already gone. And so just so we're, you know, this isn't, it shouldn't surprise you. They're already gone. And so it's a little bit of a lighthearted moment, which I feel like sometimes you kind of need, you know, I, I actually just went a couple weeks ago, a friend's father passed away. It was an interesting ceremony and he was very big into music and he played a lot of music. And one of his friends played a couple songs at the end. And so one song, oh, it was a James Taylor song that Carol King wrote. I knew it from James Taylor. And like, it was like, like, he, I didn't, I had never met him, but like, it was so sad. 
And so mm-hmm. then and he was like, you know, he would never want to go out like this. Like he would never want you all to cry. So the, he started singing this song called Enjoy Yourself. It's later than you think, which is a very up, like it's a very upbeat song. That's like, hey, you're going to die and you better do stuff you want to do now because you know, when you're 92, you're not going to have teeth to eat that food that you're saying no to, or you're not going to be able to go to vacation or the money's never going to hug you back. It was a really, it was actually uh, an amazing moment. And I listened to this song. I've actually made a playlist around it. My funky fifties playlist, because it just kind of brings me, I don't know, a little bit of solace. It's, it was a nice way to end. And then, and so I really kind of like that. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. It's music is such an it's one of those things, right? You know how you can remember the lyrics of music, mm. you know, years later, like you haven't heard song 20. Oh, years, it's, it's like a like, time travel device. It's it's like a time travel. And so I think also like music we share with people who are gone, right? Who are dead, you know, that comes back. It was just just even like the weekend before last, I went to a Tom Petty tribute show. And, you know, my dad played Tom Petty when I was little and he died last year unexpectedly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like I connected with that in the way in that way. And and it's interesting because a lot of cultures have really meaningful, like outward traditions of connecting with their dead, you know, with people who've died. And they and many call I just was even like in my mind when you were telling the story, I was thinking of a Wakanda Forever movie, which I think it's built. I think that some of the celebrations of Chadwick Boseman's character T'Challa's death in the movie like they show celebrations. I think it's Ghanaian is where the traditions come from. And and you see that sometimes it also is a celebration of life. I feel like just in you know my household, it was just a silence. So I need to get better at talking about death, not just for my own you know life and people around me so that I'm better able to communicate about it. But I think we need to help our students with this topic too, right? I think it's something that's really relevant that, that should be part of the curriculum. I mean, you know, there's life and there's death. And it seems like we're not, we're not talking about half of it. No, that's true. If only there are people who could maybe help guide us through this very difficult topic. Oh, wait. So, yep. <laughs> do so, it. So some traditions do not die at all. <laughs> there we go. We would like to welcome into the podcast, a great group who has published an article. We're going to talk about Britton Varga, Catherine Van Kessel, and Becky Christ. Welcome. Thank you, Michael and Dan, for having us. Pleasure to be here and to talk with you all. And I appreciate the sentiments on the uncomfortableness of death. And I think that's something that drew each of us together to produce some scholarship that engages with death in a very direct fashion. You know, to start things off, I want to acknowledge that our writing collective and our thought group and our our really close group of friends is missing someone. Mark Helmsing of George Mason University is unable to join us today. He is enduring some medical complications and we just want to say we miss him and love him. And we hope that this podcast does the work that he was such an integral part of does, does it justice. So I want to really lead with that. And some background information on me. I come from a family. My mother was an educator for 35 years. I spent 20 years in a public school classroom. I've been a social studies teacher for seemingly ever. I started out in third grade and I worked my way through middle school and high school and I'm at the higher education level now. And I am an assistant professor of history and social science at California State University, Chico. And a big event that happened in my life, my mother transitioned 
my first week of grad school. And that left a huge impression on me, just dealing with death in my own way, head on and having conversations about grieving and what that meant. And then this led me to start thinking about this idea of hauntings within the context of social studies education. So I'm having all of these thoughts early on in my, my research career as a grad student. And I was fortunate enough to cross paths with Kat and Becky and ultimately Mark and it seems like we're the only ones in the field who are really interested in engaging with the uncomfortableness of death because it is heavy and it's hard and it's difficult. And we are just trying to get the field of social studies to, first of all, acknowledge that all we do is talk about dead people in social studies and then ultimately work towards ways of analyzing the role that different power structures play in determining who gets to live and who gets to die, which is ultimately the, the main topic of our paper in TRSC, Theorizing Necropolitics and Social Studies. Hi, so I'm uh, Catherine Van Kessel. Like Breton, I have some family history. My mother was a junior high English and art teacher, and my father was a high school physics and chemistry teacher. It took me a while to come to teaching, but eventually I did. And I taught junior high Latin and uh, junior high and high school social studies. I eventually became a professor doing some teacher education, but now mostly like curriculum theory, weird stuff. Anyone who knows me, I just mostly dwell at the weird. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a, a, an associate professor at Texas Christian University, just recently moved from Canada. It's a whole other adventure. So with our work together, like I think what's really speaking to me is that how we talk about death like really matters. So in this particular article, like we're really looking at, you know, these major events that kind of become like common sense in like Kevin Kumashiro's sense where, you know, it's sort of these taken for granted imbued with all of these assumptions that we're not unpacking. And so Ashil and Bembe, you know, through Necropolitics, like invites us to think about death in relation to power. So, you know, one vignette is about the Vietnam War and how it's really easy to teach about the sacrifices of U.S. soldiers uh, and kind of have this reverence and kind of propping up their deaths as for these political ends and unquestioned. And then sort of on the flip side of the necropolitical coin, you know, we're looking at the deaths of Vietnamese nationals and how in some classrooms, you know, that's dealt with a lot more glibly. Like it's not this language of heroic sacrifice, but rather you know, teachers are fine with showing an image of someone who's even at the moment of their death. There's a number of famous photos to that end, which kind of relates to like another interest that I know that, that we have as a group, which is like, like image use, you know, what images of death are we using and what are they doing and how can we be like respectful of that? Like something, you know, I've been really, uh, you know, learning, you know, alongside these good folks we're with today is, you know, you know, we don't really want to show the, the image of a person, you know, at their most vulnerable. There's a ton of powerful images that we can use that sort of aren't disrespectful, you know, to this human being who's now this corpse, right? I'm also really interested, and this is some of my kind of an offshoot of my things, is like how we talk about death in terms of like the weird ways that works through our body. So I spent a lot of time talking about like existential fear <laughs> and, and how that leads us to, you know, maybe be 
extra ridiculous during like politically polarizing conversations and those kind of things. And so like, what might we do? So, you know, we can actually use humor to alleviate some existential anxiety. There's some neat uh, psychological research about that. But then of course you have to be careful not to be glib and not to make light of death. So it's, it's always this delicate play with death where, you know, we want to name it. We want to understand you know, that that's working through our minds and through our bodies. And at the same time, like find ways together to cope with it. Cause I, you know, just like everything meaningful in education, it, you know, it comes down to relationships, our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others. So that's something I hope that, you know, as a community, like we're, we're thinking specifically in this article, like about, about power and politics and those things. But I also hope that, you know, it comes down to that personal level as well, which you'll kind of see like throughout our body of work. I'm Becky Christ, and I'm currently an assistant professor at Florida International University doing social studies and some qual inquiry courses and such. Um, I came into education right away. I knew I wanted to be a teacher from the first day I knew what school was. I, at first, I wanted to teach the littles, like kindergarten and first grade. And then I got into high school and started learning social studies, like really in, more in depth. And my mom just said to me one day, you know, I know you want to be a teacher, but you really love history. Have you ever thought about teaching social studies? And I literally had never thought about it. And then from that day on, that was what I was going to do. And that is exactly what I did. So I, I graduated from the University of Missouri with a secondary social studies teaching certificate degree and teaching certificate. And I taught in mid-Missouri for a few years and then went back to grad school, got my PhD at the University of Missouri as well in social studies ed. And then now I'm here teaching a future elementary school teachers about social studies and loving every minute of it. And how I got into this particular conversation was through one of my research, main research topics is in genocide education. And for my dissertation, I looked at what U.S. college students who studied abroad in Rwanda learned about the genocide that happened in Rwanda in 1994, how they learned about it, what that experience was like, how they were kind of dealing with the emotionalities of those things that they were learning. And I also had to spend a lot of time unpacking my own learning around death and dying and grief in relation to that writing. And, and that's how I started kind of thinking about this. And then I found like-minded people in, in Breton and Kat and Mark to have these conversations because they are uncomfortable and they're very emotional, but I think they're really, really important. And especially when we think about genocide education, you know, there's a lot of advice out there. It's similar to what Kat was saying. We don't want to use, uh, we don't want, we don't want to be glib. We don't want to use overly sensitive, you know, images. Overly, you know, we we want to be very cautious with how we're handling this with students, which is all true. But we also don't want to shy away from this topic because it is real. It is happening. It is currently happening in our world. You know, death and dying and grief are things that we need to wrestle with. You know, I think on uh, unfortunately on daily because of what is happening in our world, and so. It's really great to be with a group of like-minded folks who can have these conversations, who who can dive in deep with each other and also hold space for each other's moments of grief and difficulty and discomfort. And that's really important as well. I imagine you all came together in some really awkward part of the internet where like, you know, like very strange people kind of hang out to talk about this kind of stuff. I'm assuming, I'm assuming. <laughs> okay, Good. there is laughter, just so we're clear. It's true and not true. <laughs> yeah, we are laughing. Michael, say, say something nice about their article after saying they met on a weird internet spot. 
Actually, do you know what, Ken, I think the first time I met you, we were at KUFA and it was like my first time because I am go to NCSS, but KUFA is usually not for, I'm I'm a high school teacher. And so KUFA is usually for the academics. We try I, to keep them out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you actually invited me. You're like, oh, you should come to this cocktail hour. And we were in line for uh, for a drink. And you were talking to me like, how many dead people do you do? like? I think you're like, how many dead people are in your book or in your PowerPoints? And I was like, wow, this is it was it was pretty wild. And I actually I thought a lot about that. I thought a lot about that a lot. I was actually really fun. It was very fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm fun at parties. <laughs> I, I mean, actually, people will come up to me in the hallway and they'll be like, what do you study? And I've got, a, you know, anyone who's met me, you know, I, I usually have a big smile on my face. I'm like, I study evil and death. And they're like, OK. And they're either like, tell me more or they just walk away slowly. We had a very lovely conversation. (laughs) Unrelated, Michael's never been back to Kufa. (laughs) Oh, no, I've ruined it. (laughs) My kids, Um, like, their their favorite thing to say as we drive past a cemetery on the road is, like, how many people, how many dead people are in there? And you're supposed to say, I don't know, like, 200 of them. And they're like, all of them are dead. And they, uh, you know, kid humor, you know. So the, the... The reason we are here, which you all have mentioned, is to talk about your article in Theory and Research in Social Education. First, congratulations on the publication of your article. It is titled Theorizing Necropolitics in Social Studies Education. So we might just have to even start with, what is necropolitics? Thanks, Dan. I think that's a great question. And a little bit of context about necropolitics. It is a form of analysis that was developed by the political theorist Achille Mbembe, and he builds on Foucault's idea of biopower, which is um, systems of control that dictate, you know, life in in society and, and various spheres. And necropolitics is not something that is a binary to biopower as much as it is a the metaphor of like bifocal lenses that it helps us see multiple vantage points relating to life and death. And some of our early work as a collective, we started to basically do what we were talking about earlier, where we wanted to acknowledge and confront death and grieving in social studies, especially coming out of, and we still are in this pandemic where death and grief is saturating everything. And students are constantly exposed to images and and experiences of death and grief in in multiple ways, we wanted to dig a little bit deeper. And so we came across the work of Mbembe and we just found it to be an extremely generative way of thinking about death, not just acknowledging it and confronting it, but trying to understand why it happens to certain groups of people time and time again. And I think that's a good starting point for why we approached theorizing necropolitics and putting it in direct conversation with social studies. Yeah, there's like no topic that like escapes issues of power, right? Like, I mean, we'd like to think we can retreat to a corner where we don't have to worry about, you know, structural forms of violence, like racism and ableism and so on. But I think what necropolitics really brings to the fore is like not only are we weird when we talk about death, which of course we can, there's all sorts of layers to that, but like the, the coupling of, of death and life over death and controlling life and controlling death and how that relates to these, these systems of power and politics, like throughout time and, and again, ongoing, which is both like disappointing and, and horrifying. 
And yet what Mbembe really does is provides like, yeah, a great way of thinking about it that really zeroes in on what the problem is. And the problem is, is we're like, we're managing life and death, like it's things. And we're, we're doing this dehumanization all the time. And, and here I, you know, I take cue from scholars like Manasala and Chris Busey and Tiana Dowie Chin, where, you know, when we're thinking about dehumanization, it's not that people have lost their humanity, this, these groups that have been thrust to the margins. And in the case of necropolitics, like literally killed, it's the people who are doing that action that have lost their humanity. And so I think necropolitics provides us a way to really name what the problem is and focus the problem where the problem needs to be, which is the people who are perpetuating, you know, these, these real horrors. And while I think it is a very complex theory to think with, if there's a word that I think could be really useful for teachers in understanding how it operates, it's just the conditions. Like necropolitics is ultimately concerned with understanding the conditions that allow death to happen. And these conditions happen over time. One of the nuances in necropolitics that we draw into or, or that we discuss in the article is the idea of slow death. So Becky mentioned earlier genocide education. It's this idea that genocides just don't happen. There's certain things that have happened over the course of time that have determined that some people are deemed disposable by governments. This could be through the policies or the who gets access to food or who gets access to safe ways of living and the, the humanization of, of living safely and all of those come into play when you're thinking with necropolitics. But ultimately, I think it's those conditions that this theoretical framework is ultimately concerned with and trying to understand and, and lay bare like who, you know, what other governments supported the actions of these death worlds that unfolded or continue to unfold. Is there any point that we can bring the French Revolution into this? Because we find that our our listeners very much enjoyed the French Revolution. Particularly, I'm guessing you, li you listen to our own podcast, Michael. <laughs> Every time we talk about the French Revolution, I get totally excited. What what are the example? What examples do you use in the paper? Because I'm as a as a social studies person, like I know what you're saying is evident everywhere, right? Like there's this is probably comes up in any subject area. But but do you, what? How do you think this translates to the way the curriculum is designed currently, or the way a lot of social studies teachers might think about where this fits into their you know into their potential curriculum? Yeah, thank you for that question. And I, the French Revolution is one of the examples that we get into. Well, well asked that question. So as we were mentioning earlier, this idea of understanding the conditions, one of the other nuances within necropolitics is this idea of sovereign necropower. And something that Mbembe writes about is at the heart of sovereignty is this idea of governments having control over who gets to live and then who gets to die. And so thinking about the French Revolution in that way, what are some of those circumstances that allowed this situation of the reign of terror to unfold. And that's hopefully something that students can understand a little bit deeper thinking with this framework than just approaching this point in history as being this terrible senseless act where violence is occurring to everyone and anyone. It was very, very specific. And then going back to the, the concepts that Brenton mentioned earlier about the living dead and slow death in particular, we first introduced those terms by using the genocide against the Tutsi or what folks in the United States often know as the Rwanda genocide. 
to kind of unpack what those concepts are. But then our third example in the in the paper really takes this idea of slow death in relation to, to redlining. So it follows a ninth grade U.S. history unit about the, the rights movements. And the, this teacher actually takes students on a field trip to drive them around the neighborhood that they are living in after studying some of the economic and governmental policies that affected the Black communities kind of across the U.S. North, but also in their own, their, around their own school. And he points out a, a wall that separates that, that was used to separate a, new, a newly developing white community from a mixed community and how that, uh, that wall affected how the schools were seen, you know, how the communities were viewed, what, which communities were viewed as good communities and unsafe communities, those kinds of things. And also how the interstate was used to kind of uh, literally be built on top of black communities to, to separate and destroy. Um, and so that's one way to see that slow death Although that might not have led to an immediate an immediate death of an individual, um, over time, those are the conditions that are placed on communities that lead to the outcome of death. So I'm I'm curious, like, do you have a sense of? I mean, I'm guessing most teachers probably are kind of like Michael and I. We're 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 really not sure what we're talking about or where to go right off the bat with death. Although again, Michael's got more experience than me. He's had some conversations. But um, do, do you get a sense when you think about this, this is something that most teachers or social studies educators also at the higher ed level would be able to take up or have taken up? Or do you think we get a lot of examples of just teachers not really sure how to talk about death or these larger conditions that that create um, a likelihood for some people to begin seen, as you said, as disposable or by society or more likely to existing conditions that that will not allow for the flourishing of life? The death is already there in the curriculum. I mean, social studies is replete <laughs> with death. So in my experience, talking to, to educators, you know, whether that's at the K to 12 level or, you know, teacher, teacher educators or people in teacher education programs, is they it, sort of a little light bulb goes off when you talk to them about it. They're like, yeah, you know, I hadn't quite thought about it in that way, you know, so they are thinking about it and they're aware of it. But I think, and this is again, getting into some of the psychology stuff that I'm interested in, like it's not on the forefront of their mind. They're kind of going through the motion and they're teaching about these, these deaths and these bodies, but they're not really putting their full thoughtfulness forward about that. And some of that I think is a, is a natural human reaction. But if you give them that invitation, it's usually pretty easy to take up because it means, yeah, they're, they're attentive to the images that they're choosing. They're attentive to the language they're using when they're talking about it. And it sort of shifts. So kind of what our invitation to teachers is, is not really to do a ton of things different, but of what they're already doing, doing some sort of tweaks to make sure that we're not perpetuating things like necropolitics, but instead kind of pushing against it. So it allows us to like overlay almost the structural analysis in these sort of day-to-day -day curricular topics that they're already engaging with. I will say after you talked to me in line that day, I did like do a serious look at like all the images that I've used and I didn't like, but I like, and then I was like really intentional with like, whenever I'd bring in an issue, I was like, I don't need to like, that's not a good image that this is. And so I thank you for talking to me that day. It was. Yeah. Thank you for putting up with me. <laughs> oh, it was my pleasure. I was thinking, I was like, oh my goodness, these uh, professors know how to party. They're uh, pretty wild. I think something else to add too is, we would, you know, advise teachers to 
we're, it's almost like we're asking them to zoom out of the actual F, the the event of death itself. And we're seeking to help them understand that this is an assemblage. And I'm thinking here of um, Bonnie Wozilek's work on the assemblage of violence. And if we can get teachers to help students think about who else was supporting these government policies that allowed death to continue to happen, and then how have certain deaths been rationalized in order to enhance the living of specific people? So I think there's a couple of entry points into this conversation that teachers should hopefully, you know, engage their students with. I'm thinking about you, you can apply a necropolitical analysis of just about any sort of primary source in which death is connected indirectly or directly by asking your students to think about what are the other contributing factors to this equation, which then ultimately leads to a deeper understanding of history in general. And just to quickly jump in, I think that part of our writing about this is also having teachers who who may feel uncomfortable talking about this. This offers them a conceptual tool to begin that conversation if they don't know where else to start. Well, I want you all to come to Texas and do workshops and and Kat's already here. So she can start this because in Texas, they tell us we can't teach all kinds of things. And yet they tell everyone they have to teach about the Alamo, which is a massacre. It's like literally like what it is. And like everyone must teach this, but here's all the topics you can't teach about that make you uncomfortable. And strangely, I think they've like, we've like fictionalized the Alamo to the point that people actually aren't uncomfortable because I don't even think it's often taught very historically. It's taught as this kind of nostalgic, you know, I don't know, superhero movie that where the bad guys, you know, like win or lose. I don't know. It's like, I don't think it's taught very well. That's just my analysis, not giving Texas social studies teachers a hard time. But I often see just a lot of confusion from our students on that topic. And so I wonder if if you could give us some examples of like advice you have both for scholars who are going to pursue this topic more, but also for teachers, like, what do you do in your classroom? I'm just very curious. Do you have any examples of lessons or ways that you address this topic that could help give us insights? I actually just finished doing like a thing with my with my undergrads on this. We do, inspired by my mentor, Dr. Kenton here, we always start with like what must happen before the lesson begins. So we do, we do a day of death where we talk about, you know, these triggers for these defenses and then what we might do about it. So part of, part of my research has been to be like, okay, well, knowing what we know, because knowing what the problem is, is only part of it right? What do we do about it? So there's, I think, a ton of strategies that we can look at, whether we're talking about death in a necropolitical sense or death in any other sense, um, you know, is to, to things, things like, you know, appropriate use of humor, being able to name the emotional landscape. Like, I think one of the biggest benefits of, of being in this writing group with these wonderful humans is I've really, you know, had this opportunity to talk with other people and be like, so what are the feelings that I'm feeling and, and naming some of the defenses, like how, you know, we want to sort of dismiss things knowing that like our reading comprehension goes down when we're reading something about death. You know, maybe as teachers, we engage with like multimodal, like we use some music, we use infographics as opposed to like a dense article with students who are just introduced to that. And really like looking into things that give us comfort, like our worldviews give us comfort. So how can we tap into positive aspects of that before we're engaging in something? So there's, you know, a number of strategies, I could go on, but there's a number of things that I think we can do 
sort of before that lesson happens as we're developing our classroom community. Because again, like running theme, nothing can happen without relationships and community. And then we've got, you know, sort of the, you know, I would say as a collective, like guidelines isn't the right word because we're not so prescriptive, but we have some like invitations to being thoughtful. So like, how is that image that you're using? Like, if that was someone you loved, is that an image you would show? You know, these kind of like um, ways of bringing that thoughtfulness and engaging in our own humanity, as opposed to just being like, there's this thing that's death and not thinking about it and not giving it sort of its due gravity so there's no like silver bullet I wish there were wouldn't that be amazing (laughs) but uh, like I think there's a number of things that we can like think about together so those are just some initial thoughts I think too it might be really interesting to have teachers think about death within the context of the different tenets of social studies right so what roles did death in the you know, in the context of economics, geography, history. Civics? Did you say civics? Civics. Yeah. Like I think all of those different registers of social studies, thinking about how they, you know, how they related to the ultimate development of the outcome, which was death, could be a really interesting way to get students talking about death. You know, Michael, you started off our, our podcast sharing a little story about your daughter talking about death and something that I hold very near and dear to my heart. My, We've had a lot of death and trauma in my family, as I mentioned just a little bit earlier on, is my, my youngest daughter, who is now eight, whenever she sees a cemetery, she refers to it as a dying garden. And I think there's something beautiful and really healthy about moving away and pushing back against this stigma that death has to be uncomfortable and it has to be taboo and it has to be something that we steer away from. I think a critique that we've gotten in our work is, oh, this should be handled. Anything death-related or grief-related should be handled by counselors. It's not the job of the teacher to engage students in these sorts of topics. And we would obviously argue very strongly otherwise in the sense that talking about death is a huge step in the right direction towards just getting our kids to deal with the inevitable. We're all going to die at some point. Death is going to touch us all. There's no escaping that. How are we preparing our students to be able to articulate it and be able to think about it in a way that's respectful, kind, and empathetic? All of those descriptors. It would be a very odd history class if there was no death. To be fair, though, Indiana Jones, there are people looking for a solution, right? That's what I learned from that movie. There is a fountain of youth, right? Isn't that what the golden gobble or whatever they have, the the cup they're trying to get? Golden cup. The golden Golden goblet. Then he chose wrong. Well, it wasn't golden. Yeah, There's a new Indiana Jones movie coming out. That's true. Indiana Jones 5. And the best joke about the new Indiana Jones movie is that since Harrison Ford is still playing it and there's some controversy over that, people are like, that is the most realistic thing ever. You got like an 80 year old professor who refuses to retire. It's like accurate. <laughs> so I, I, because I work with um, elementary pre-service teachers right now, primarily, I haven't quite tackled necropolitics directly in, in my in my class, but we do, I have used, I have infused a lot of arts-based work with them when we're talking about topics that may make them or students feel uncomfortable. And I think that that's another really powerful way to kind of process the emotionality around difficult topics, death included, but also covering 
these quote unquote difficult histories like slavery, genocide, um, those kinds of things. And I think that that's really important to have an, an additional way to process with students the, these things that they're feeling and encountering. My my inclination is to think that that we don't give kid, young kids credit for their ability to talk about these things. Now, I will say I do like my one of my earliest memories is apparently I learned about death and like one night was just up crying saying I don't want to die <laughs> like I, in my bed like before I went to sleep. Um, but I did make it through that night and continued living, although I still am going to die at some point. And so I think even young Dan who cried about death um, probably could have used some good lessons of death. And maybe I was crying about the unknown because nobody had, had had the conversation yet that Michael had with his daughter. <laughs> and there, there is actually tools for, for littles to talk about these things. Like the psych research does show that, you know, kids as young as say kindergarten, like actually do have a conceptualization. So it's not something that has to be hid from them. Uh, a book I always like to recommend is uh, Duck, Death and the Tulip. It's a beautiful picture book that is a nice way to uh, to address the topic of death with littles. I think it's just gorgeous. I'm ordering now so through my local bookseller. I will go there. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. This was a good time and also very dark, but nice. <laughs> it was awkward for everyone, and I appreciate that with 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 you all. Happy to share some awkward space with you both and my wonderful colleagues, as always. Where can we find each of your work online on, on the internet, which will live forever? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Breton Varga. And I'm, I also try to be somewhat active on Facebook, although those days seem to be waning, but. You can find me on Twitter as well, but also TikTok and Instagram as at Dr. Evil Academic. And I am not quite as savvy with social media or as cool to have such a cool uh, handle as, as Kat does, but I can be found on, at Twitter, on Twitter at Rebecca C. Christ. So until Twitter dies, we will all find you there. It feels like it's coming close and it, it's, mm -hmm. in its, uh, it's in its twilight years, I'll say, for a social media platform. But until then, we'll find you all on Twitter, which Michael quit. We, now, we have to take that out of the end of the episode now, Michael. Oh, yeah, I am off. Thank you again, you all, for joining us today and help us talk about this difficult yet important topic. We certainly hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces or just in random lines at KUFA when someone walks up behind you and starts talking about death. Right, Michael? Yeah. At the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education or you just want to chat and we get it, we're here for you. You can hit us up on the Twitter at Visions of Ed. We're also sometimes on the Facebook. And, and this is a special ask, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you'd like us to be. We'll be there. And we would really appreciate if you would write us a five-star review. You only live one life. And so <laughs> use this one well. Put a five-star review in there. You're never going to regret that. We would also like Yola to moment. thank, Z thank you, yes. We would like to thank Zach Seitz of Wiley Zach High Seitz. School and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. You can still find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm sometimes around. Sometimes around. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off. <laughs>